Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living, You Win the Day. And you can check out my Audible on Amazon about the African-American athlete. And the paperback of We Will Win the Day is coming out in November. Uh, I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness, Institute of Black World and the Politics of the 1970s, as well as Blood, Sweat and Tears, Jay Gate, the Florida A&M and the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lewis Moore. Uh, it's good to be back. Back to back weeks. I'm there. I'm saying it's great. Season three, we're off to a, a strong start before the classes fully get on their way. Um, but yes, you know, my kids went back to school. When your kids go back to school? I don't know. Uh, two, <laughs> I think two weeks. I'm pretty sure two weeks. So it's late, late, a little bit of late start here. And, and that carries on till early June. So yeah, mine went back this morning. And so hopefully they'll be still be in school when your kids actually start in a couple of weeks. Cause, uh, the, the coronavirus is still here. Uh, and so hopefully we can make it through uh, a semester. So what's happening in the week that we've uh, last recorded, man? So the Olympics wrapped up. What do you, you know, what were your thoughts on the the last, you know, third of the Olympics? Um, man, um, you know, first of all, NBC's got to do a better job with scheduling. I know the timing's off, but man, just let us know when things are going to be on a little bit better. But once I once I figured out, I, you know, I can download that NBC Sports app. Things started to roll, especially when I was able to get up early. But shout out to 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 Allison Felix, who who I remember uh, tweeting what four or five years ago at the last Olympics that she deserves to be in a conversation of of, of greatest all time based on the strength that she was in her fourth Olympics, and then. She made it to a fifth Olympics and came away with a a, a gold in the four by four hundred. Um, and that team, she's with Sid the Kid and, and um, the young woman from Texas A and M uh, who also won the eight hundred gold. She's her name's escaping me. Man, they're going to be dominant for the next couple of years. But but Allison Felix at the age of thirty five coming away with two golds is is unheard of in track. Right, a sport where look if you look at it. Someone like a Sid, the kids making it at 16 and now dominating at 21. You know, you have those five year breaks, but but it's it's a young person's sport, and and to be able to stay in the game that long and take bronze in an event like the 400 is is incredible. And like I've said before, she's not necessarily when we think greatest of athletes of all time, we think someone who's dominant, right? Like world records, and she's winning consistent Olympics. She's not dominant like that. She's really, really consistently good, right? Which mm-hmm. allows her to have eleven medals, and, and a number of those are, are are relays. But but if you're if you're making a list of you know goats, especially in track and field, um, you know, regardless of, of 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 gender, you know, she's definitely in there. Um, if you're just narrowing down this list to to, to women athletes in general, right? She's up there with your your Jackie Joyner Curseys, right? She's up there with with Serena. Um, I would say, and again, I'm, I'm having kind of this, kind of this, uh, this, uh, brain block right now that the woman who, the Jamaican who just went back to back ones and twos, which, which oh, is yeah. too, 
Right. That's that's like an incredible feat that that doesn't happen much. Right. You'd have to throw their names in there. Now, I'll say this about Allison Felix. She's from what I can remember. She's really that first athlete, especially first woman track athlete that gets to go straight in as a professional. Right. So Mm -hmm. so she's a phenom in high school. Um, mm-hmm. in, in Southern California, and although she goes to, uh, I believe where she go to Stanford or or SC, although she goes to school, she's she's signed by Nike, right? Yeah. Um, and so that she doesn't have to do the whole school stuff, right? She's allowed to be. I mean, she goes to school, but she doesn't have to do college track, right? She's allowed to be a professional, and I think that's really helped with her 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 longevity, right? Um, just being able to solely concentrate on profession. Whereas, you know, if you look at somebody in the past, past, like a Wilma Rudolph, right? You gotta, you know, you're, you go to school and that's essentially it, right? Right. After after that's up that, you know, if you don't have the school there to help you train, right? Those four years, it's really hard to be an Olympian four years later because you got to go out there and get a job, right? Yeah. Um, so when someone like a Wyoming Matthias back to backs in 64, 68, that's that's really impressive. Um, but, you know, shout out to Allison Felix there. And then also being you know open about conversation about what she went through as a woman athlete with Nike. Right. When when, um, you know, dealing with her contract and pregnancy. And then when she gets at the Olympic Village, you know, really helping out these women athletes who have to bring young children there with with child care. Um, so, so, you know, you, you put that all together and, and, you know, that's a great, uh, CV as we like to say in, in academia, right? That's a great CV. If you, if you're putting it up for full professor status or, or goat talk. Um, yeah, no, no, I think, I think your point here, and I think this shouldn't be glossed over, right? That she is a track phenom that bypassed, uh, college track and field, right? So she was. She signed by Adidas, not Nike initially. Then she moves to Nike later on. She's been, I think Man, she's my had, bad. My that's bad. all right. That's all right. And but but they agreed to pay for her to go to USC, but not track to but to not run on their their track and field team. And so she functioned as a professional um, uh, while still being able to attend college, which is a real you know in some ways is an arrangement that is not unusual for European sports, for instance, right? For guys who play soccer, who are interested in going to college, where they'll just pick up, you know, the cost of your classes as part of your salary or whatnot. Um, And so I think that speaks to it. But I think that, that, you know, I think when we tell the story about how we understand Allison Felix's career, that the notion that she was able to go straight from high school into the professional ranks through the sponsorship with Adidas uh, allows her to add a kind of longevity to her career. And I think your point is well said about her consistency where she is like um, unbelievably consistent after winning the gold uh, in the 2012 games in London in the 200, where she's down on the four by four in the 2008 Olympics. And so she's able to really put together this really long career of being a consistent uh, relayist, uh, but also a consistent uh, medalist uh, in the 200 and the 400. And so salute to her career, uh, as well as the kind of obstacles and, bring, and bringing, like, I think much needed attention to uh, the trials and tribulations that, that women athletes, but especially black women athletes are facing uh, at the hands of these sponsors in particular. What else you got? What else was uh, 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 notable at the end Oh, 
Oh man, you're at Kentucky, Sid the Kid. The, oh yeah, the, will will go down as the most decorated. Uh, I you know she's gonna. I don't know. You know, part of it's like versatility, what which allows Allison Felix to get a, eleven medals. But you know, Sid the Kid is just in incredible. Like I, you know, to be twenty one to set a world record in those 400 hurdles and just look so flawless. Like, I don't know where you go from here, right? Four <laughs> years later, try to do the same thing. And then maybe eight years later. Um, and, and the same with the, you know, Allison Felix, part of, part of the success of a track athlete is, you know, when you're born, right. Um, Cause you know, mm-hmm. they have world championships, but we, we, you know, most people just look at the Olympics. And so being able to go at 16, then 21, and then, you know, because there was five years, now there's going to be three years you'll be 24, you'll be 28. Yeah. You know, you could build quite a career and, and I could even see her switching to the four. I mean, there's so much speed there. Um, I don't, I don't see ever like a, a 400, 400 meter double. Maybe they do a Michael Johnson type thing where, where they, 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 uh, you know, set the schedule different to allow that, you know, when he, mm-hmm. he did the double and the two and the four, mm-hmm. I think they had to change some schedules around because, you know, that's what people want to see. Uh, that's incredible. Um, you know, switching gears to basketball, both men's and women's, um, you know, seeing those games, seeing play, how great KD had to be, uh, just, just for, you know, just for them to get by France and, 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 you know, shout out to Rudy Gobert uh, (laughs) for taking his team to the finals, right. To, to, to getting all the layups, uh, all the dunks. And, 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 you know, what's interesting to me is just, think about how that's going to transition into the league. Um, can, can Rudy Gobert be a force that you have to think about on the offensive end? Um, the reason why the jazz just got busted out of the playoffs was because Gobert is just so single-minded on defense and, and he doesn't have the moves inside, but you can see if you keep feeding him the ball, you know, you're either going to go one-on-one with him and he could just turn around and dunk it, right? He's so, he's so tall and, and, and athletic, or you got to drop down and then he can kick it out. So, so I'm looking forward to see if he could really progress his game uh, going into the NBA, which promises to be a great season as we segue to free agency. Before we segue to free agency, I want to talk about Brittany Griner, uh ability to the women's basketball team. I, I, I like it. I was talking to a colleague yesterday and I was like, man, it was like me playing with my kids, right? The, 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 the U.S. women's team was so much taller. Uh, and they were just throwing it inside and getting layups. And so it was good, you know, but, you know, shout out to Japan who was, you know, had never medaled in basketball uh, and had gotten a silver medal. Um, but it speaks to the kind of dominance that women's basketball, um, American women's basketball has. And so it was pretty pleasure to watch. And last, before we go to free agency real quick, we got to give, we talked about Simone Biles had pulled herself out of the Olympics. Oh, that's right. right. And then she came back through with the balance beam and got her a uh, bronze medal. Uh, and I think that that just speaks volumes to the kind of greatness that she has. And I th- I'm glad to see her be able to go out on her own terms uh, in that way. Also, last but not least, men's track and field, especially was it the 4 by 100 that they didn't qualify for the finals? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we got a lot of work to do. Got a lot of work to do uh, uh, in men's track and field. It is, uh, there's some holes. I saw Carl Lewis was on the Twitter upset as he should be. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, and, and shout out to, to Kentucky hurdlers besides Sid the kid, I believe. Um, 
the woman's 100 meter or 110 meter hurdle champ uh went to kentucky am i mm -hmm. correct mm -hmm. yes so there you guys hurdle you hurdle you uk i'm saying i wish i could get some hurdle you checks but uh apparently i have to get a hurdle <laughs> i gotta get a hurdle you t-shirt that's what that means somewhere uh, right, on right, the bookstore right. um no free agency any uh lots of lots of lots of money i guess the nba is back that's what they're telling me spending all this money yeah, and I and I think I don't know if we brought it. We might have brought this up last time. Uh, how much money was just being spent, and and the idea that people said it was. I think we did brought up, you know, the idea that people said the NBA is dead. Um, you know, all that BLM stuff. There's tons of money. I, you know, if your name's not Dennis Schroeder, right? There's there's tons of money out. There. Um, and 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 I want to, you know, what? Let's. I want to say something on Schroeder real quick. Yeah. Always, if you're listening, always bet on yourself if you believe in yourself. I, I don't want to clown him, you know, because, you know, there was 84 on the table and now he's at five. And, you know, maybe next year he'll be able to, you know, have a great year and be able to, to you know, freak that into 100 million or something like that. But don't be afraid to bet on yourself because Dennis Schroeder went from 84 to get, he got five. Five million is still a lot of money. It's probably more money than I'll ever make, you know, right. uh, being a professor over the last 20 years. So I'm not going to clown him. Uh, because if I walked in the room, he'd be like, there's poor people in here, you know, that, that Dave <laughs> Chappelle, uh, uh, Jip. but you know, I've seen some things floating around just suggesting that, you know, maybe there is a little bit of collusion to, 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 you know, teach these mid-level guys a lesson, right. That, mm -hmm. that when a team offers you 84 and not the max that you want, then you take that, right. Because then mm -hmm. there's a penalty on the back end, um, because that, that's weird to me that no team, right, was willing to give him more than five a year or a solid offer. Maybe he didn't want to go anywhere else. But here you have a starter for 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 the Lakers. He was one of the top six men two just two years ago, right? Right. Um, helped Chris Paul bring Oklahoma City to the to the playoffs, a team that was supposed to be, you know, tanking. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of a sudden he can't get more than a year. So something's going on there. Uh, but but I wish him all all the best. Um, I hope he has a good year in Boston, and I hope you know it turns out that he's able to to parlay that into to a fat contract. Yeah, I will say. Uh, did you see Steph Curry is the first person to get the the second two hundred million dollar contract? This is this is an interesting. Uh, it'd be interesting how we you know obviously he's the greatest shooter of, of at least of our generation and probably ever, uh, but. To see him get the second, what is it, four years, two hundred and twelve million or something crazy like that? So that's crazy. It's getting like fifty nine million in the last year of the contract. Yeah, uh, uh, and so you know, I think Golden State is an interesting place to see that they they really doubled down on preserving that legacy of that that team that made such a great run for like six years yeah. in a row. Um, well, they got bills to pay too. Yeah, they have new bills. They, they got new, new stadium. Arena. They got they bills got to pay. They got new arena, so yeah, no, for real. So, um, the free agency is, is coming along. Um, what else is happening in the world? College football is starting up. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a college football person. I'm getting excited. I have no, I have no clue. But but let's tell tell the listeners what we got going. We are in a fantasy football league together. I know. Um, and, and what's and, and Derek yeah. is not giving me any information. I don't do fantasy. Listen, listen, listeners. I don't do fantasy football, and I've never, I haven't done a live draft, and it's got to be at least 15, 16, 17 years. I mean, the last time I did it, I went Cole Pepper Moss because I had back to back picks. 
Um, and that was great until Moss got hurt. It was like Culpepper's MVP season, and I was winning it all. And then I believe, I think Moss got hurt for a minute, and then I panicked and, and was like, oh, let me get some other Vikings. And it, it didn't go well. <laughs> I think that year, too, Willis McGahee came off like out of nowhere to have three touchdowns in a game, and and that was against me. So, so that was it. And and you know, uh, but yeah, he is not. So, listeners, if you have any tips for me, please, my my DMs are always open because uh, Derek's trying to convince me to pick Trey Lance with my number one pick. Um, I wish so I, I wish people could see. I wish not. you know, podcasting is uh, uh, this is uh, again an audio. Uh, medium, but you should see these DMs uh, from Lou Moore. So, like, he should take at, at ten. He's like, man, can I get you know Matt Stafford at ten? Uh, you should, you should take him because I, you know, <laughs> I'm competitive and I, you know, all I got to do is beat Lou. That's the goal. I'm trying to win the yeah. league. The beat Lou is the the is the floor in this but, in this. But I, and and I'll say this, I. I didn't look at the score, how scoring was, and I figured it out. And he still hasn't responded in a text. And 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 I think I had the math that if if a a, uh, a quarterback throws three hundred yards, it's like a running back running one twenty, right? Um, and then you get more points for a running back um, running or running a touchdown versus a quarterback throwing a touchdown. So this is, I mean, the league is telling you, the real NFL is telling you that running backs aren't that valuable anymore. But apparently fantasy football is like, nah, we're still going to make running backs valuable. Um, so that just throws a whole wrench into my game because all of a sudden David you know, Johnson you know, looks good. And in reality, you know, he's not he doesn't have it anymore. So I'm like, gosh, come on, fantasy football, get your stuff together. You know, and and so so we'll see. You know, you know one thing. You know, for me, I'm gonna get a black quarterback. Uh, so so you know, I you know you don't know if it's coming first round, second round, third round, but but there you will get be one a, of them black quarterbacks. Black At least you got a lot to I choose will. from this year, right? Like that's good. I mean, you know, mm, worst case scenario, I, you could get Jameis. That's when Jameis is going to be available at, yeah, at, at the last. Throw a lot too. He's gonna yeah. dump it down to Kamara a lot. Um, but you know, because who's Who's out there? You know, Dak, I saw uh, that HBO show last night. He's got a little muscle strain. And his coach, old school coach, was like struggling watching Dak sit on the sidelines. Like, dude, he just came off major surgery and he has a muscle strain. Chill out. He'll be ready. Uh, Lamar's not going to get that COVID shot. And he's had back-to-back COVID. Um, so so we'll see. So um, so let, let me – can we just talk about this Lamar thing? Because this is problematic, right? Like, he's got COVID twice. He's not going to get the shot. Like, I, does that mean I can count on him this season? I feel like this is this is sounds to be like a danger for Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And it's you know what? Yeah, I'll say and, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. But you know this: the way we treat black quarterbacks is very different than the way we treat white quarterbacks, right? So, like, is there a danger of uh, you know if he misses time from COVID, or if there's some like long lingering kind of? He's just not as sharp from COVID the second time as he's been in the past. Like, do what? At what point does the fan base of Baltimore, but the broader NFL fan base, uh, be like, yeah, you know, see, this is what we've done. Especially as we see the rise of of uh, Josh Allen, uh, Baker Mayfield is is somewhat turned a corner. Justin Hay- Herbert. Herbert, uh, Herbert, Herbert, yeah. Herbert, Herbert uh, out in uh, San Diego. 
Los no, Angeles. No, Los Angeles now, right? I'm still we old. This is what this is. San Diego Superchargers. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so it's interesting to see if if Lamar can keep that fan favorite, you know, those exciting plays, you know, obviously trying to dodge the real injury possibilities on the field, but now also taking, I think, we would agree as unnecessary risk off the field uh, with uh, his reluctance on the vaccination. What, you know, it's like to get it twice, it just shows that you're making some, some questionable decisions about where you are, right. As you know, somebody who's, you know, you're worth a lot of money. Um, You have a contract, right. This is, we're talking about legacy money type here, right. Where you could build on it. And to put yourself in situations, you know, not getting vaccinated, being around un- more likely unvaccinated people, um, to me is it's you know it's it's problematic. But also, you know, you look at him or you look like at, at a Kirk uh, Cousins, it's just mm. a lack of leadership, right? That that you're going to put your team in that in that type of position, right? Where where you know everything's on the line. You know, you know, you, I don't know if the Vikings are Super Bowl caliber, but but the Ravens are. Right. Yeah. And, and and I think you you your job is to do everything to to be available. Um. So you know we'll see. Hopefully he's okay. You know as as we've talked before, Tatum, you know Jason Tatum in basketball was using an inhaler after he got COVID. Um. So hopefully there's no breathing problems and he could keep being Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it's gonna be I, the most interesting storyline that I'm that we I think I want us to revisit in you know in the next three weeks or so is when cut day comes at the end of preseason in the next three weeks or so. And are, are guys getting cut because they refuse to get the shot, right? right. Like it's, you COVID know, cuts. Yeah. Like, like dudes are like, you're not worth the risk. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, yeah, there's a guy, you're better than this other guy, but now in, in this circumstances, you're actually much more dangerous. To the, the entire team right right, right. Um, yeah those 50 the 50th player the 51st player like if you're lamar jackson you're worth the risk uh right. but if you're jackson lamar i just made that name up like yeah. led, <laughs> well, led I mean, Castle, even, then you're not worth the risk yeah or even someone like uh you know like cole beasley had a great year had a great couple years right like he's but he he's a small slot receiver who's tough but like is he indispensable in the whole thing when, you know, if COVID comes through the whole locker room and it costs him a forfeit a game, keeps him out of the play. Like there's going to be some real interesting consequences if we get, you know, like I think you get yeah. that cost benefit analysis, especially for those teams who, who, who got playoff aspirations and, you know, one game or two games could swing your, your ability to make the playoffs. Right. Right. And I definitely think you should draft Cole Beasley. Uh, I definitely think. Who, me? Yeah, I'm taking him yeah. first pick. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, team him up with Josh Allen. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Are you ready to switch gears? Yeah, let's switch gears. Let's do it. Okay, so one of the reasons why we – I think this is Derek's main thing, really. Uh, he's, he's you know, Derek has this book on FAMU, an incredible book. If you haven't – if you don't have it, uh, put in your classes, too. Uh, your, your, your students will love it. But right around that same area in Florida state region was Bobby Bowden who recently passed away. Um, and so, and we just want to, you know, spend these last few minutes here talking about the legacy of Bobby Bowden in, and how it relates, you know, to, to this podcast. So, so Derek, are you ready to take it away? 
Yeah, because you're like this is this is your literally your wheelhouse. This, That's what you're telling. I, yeah, me. this is your wheelhouse. And then I'll you know I got my black quarterback thing, so I'll add on some things. But you know, yeah, no, I mean Bobby Bowden. Uh, for those who uh, are not aware, Bobby Bowden was the coach at Florida State University from 1976 until 2006, I believe. Um, and Bobby Bowden was one of the winningest coaches. Uh, in college football history. Um, and there is a 14-year stretch where the Florida State Seminoles finished in the top five every year. Like, that's how yes. dominant. Like, it is the mo- one of the most dominant. It, like, the best way I could describe it is um, that Florida State was uh, the college NCAA college football game when you put it on dynasty mode, right? Like it is just like, you might not win the championship every year, but you're going to be playing for the championship. And they played a fun brand of football. They had, you know, great, great players, Deion Sanders, Derek Brooks, uh, Charlie Ward, um, you know, black quarterback to win the Heisman uh, only to what? only to not get a chance and be a point guard for the New York Knicks, right? Like, I mean, this is how uh, they had a a litany of great players in and out of the Florida State program. Um, And Bobby Bowden was able to do it. And he, in many ways, he was, um, you know, he was uh, of a different era of college football coaches, right? Um, I wrote about Jay Gaither, uh, who was uh, a, a near contemporary at Florida A and M, but you know Eddie Robinson, uh, you know uh, a handful of other really great coaches of that era had big personalities. Uh, Barry Switzer at Oklahoma, and and it was just a it made the game fun, right? Like if you were grew up on a college football fan, you know part of it was that the players always changed, but the coaches brought interesting personality. Um, and so Bobby Bowden, who passed away, was one of the architects of uh, one of the great football dynasties and football programs in college football history. And one of the things that, that I, I want to talk about two things real quick, like one is that this that the the obituaries and the honorifics that are aimed at Bobby Bowden are well deserved for what he did in the football field. But I was thinking that one of the things that gets lost in that discussion is that the Bobby, to me, Bobby Bowden's Florida State teams, as well as the Miami U teams in some ways, are really just a reflection of the kind of blueprint that Jay Gaither had put out and developed at Florida A&M over the previous uh, decades, and especially in the 1960s where he was running his blood, sweat, and tears unit and they were running the football, and they had nothing but speed. They had Bob Hayes and others, great players who were who were who were really just better than uh, all their competition. Uh, and so Jay Gaither had made a, a, I think, a specific intent in trying to reach across the aisle to white coaches at Florida State, at Florida, uh, and 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 with his coaching clinic, and by attending their coaching clinics. And building these things. And I think that these coaches that we see on the cusp, uh, whether it's Bobby Bowen or Howard Stellenberger, who recently passed away earlier this year at the University of Miami, and trying to implement this thing that we see as this Florida model, that Gaither was really the architect of that and really show what the possibilities were in the state of Florida for great football. So that's the first part. So that's not to say that Bobby Bowden doesn't deserve that credit, recruiting black players and 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 leaning on speed. 
and really leaning into uh, kind of the style of black uh, of black football celebration and joy. Uh, but at the same time, he also did it at all shucks. And so he was able to convince black players right. to attend his institution at the same time, build his white booster base uh, at right. Florida, <laughs> at Florida state. Kind of this all, right. Kind of this all shucks Southerner, right? He's a mm-hmm. good guy. He's a Southerner, but he he's a good, he's a white Southerner, but he's a good guy type deal. Can I ask you a question? Cause, cause one of the things that pops up with Gaither, what's so interesting to me like when you you'll see some quotes like in mainstream presses in the 1960s where he sees this coming right like he sees so so gaither's success is that he can surround florida right and he can get the best players in florida and 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 so i like that you frame it this way like they're copying his blueprint like i know a lot of coaches get credit oh they're gonna recruit florida and that's all you have to do that's jake gaither right Mm -hmm. and and all these teams you know, realize that we just have to copy this, this template and, you know, FAMU and the other schools can't compete because they're them. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what gives them to success. And, and I think like Gaither sees like a in before there's a in coming, like this is, this is what's next. Right. Because I believe Florida state integrates what 68, yeah. um, 68 and then 67, there's, low, there's a trickle, right. Where, where you're going to get, you're going to get those those better athletes, right? They're going to part of part of integration. I don't know, if, you know, when we talk baseball, we call it integration's curse because the Negro Leagues died, right? Mm-hmm. Now, now HBCUs haven't died, and 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 they're you know they're still around, but you can see that trickle of talent really impacts uh, the game a lot, and mm-hmm. and, and Bowden is a ben- benefits from that. I, I think we was reading, we were talking. Now, now he doesn't go full on. This is a all black team, right? It's not like Georgetown in the eighties when you think it's an HBCU. No, no, um, not at all. Right, but eventually that's how he wins, right? Like if you could, if you could win Florida, mm-hmm. then you could win the nation, which is crazy to me how much talent it is. But I, I really like that idea that you say they follow Gaither's blueprint. Now it takes them a while to get it because now you're competing with Miami. Uh, mm-hmm. Two, you're competing with Florida, but just think about that. Those three schools do well by following this black coach's template, and then the school that loses out—it's not Florida, it's not Florida State, it's not Miami. It's eventually going to be FAMU, right? Now, mm-hmm. if you've read Derek's great book, you can see that they beat Miami. FAMU beats Miami. What what year? 70, 70, 79. 79, right? Um, and then after that, you know things things turn right so by the 80s yeah florida florida state miami have the blueprint and now it's just boom just running now it's a little bit harder now because all the other schools are like we're gonna go into florida too right? Right. i remember a couple years ago jim harborough was like oh i'm gonna set up a camp in florida right? right um but now you got all these other schools uh central florida uh fau um mm-hmm. trying to try to get in that too right and so it, it takes a little bit away um but you know, it's still, it's still. That's you know, that's the template. That's how you succeed. Um, and that and the all shucks attitude really helps a lot, right? I was reading this paper from '79 that was saying he could be like the next Lou Holtz um, in the sense that he's a big, he could be a big personality type guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what you know. Holtz was at Arkansas at that time, and and winds up. And this is well, you could talk about this too. I think this is important. Holtz is at Arkansas, and a couple years later is is out of there because he winds up su- supporting um 
unknown races, right? Like, right. Um, you know, politically in another state, I believe it <laughs> right. was it. <laughs> right. Is, is it hell? I can't remember if it's Helms or, um, um, other, I'll let you uh, look that up on the thing. Yeah, no, like, uh, yeah. But, but you know, Bowden will go through his, his Lou Holtz thing. Um, and you know, Lou Holtz in 79 for you listeners was having a moment because in 79 before the bowl game he kicks off three black players from the team. Um, there's some issues about sexual assault going on there and then they're black and she's white, but that's for another story or someone else to look up. But I'll let you get back to point two as I, as I rudely interrupted. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That was good though. Yeah. I think, I think, um, and so I get, you know, after, after Bobby Bowden retires, uh, he, uh, most recently and during the previous administration, uh, you know, talks about how, uh, has this kind of controversial tweet initially, um, where he says, uh, but he says God, Trump plus God is a majority, right? And he says that even when he gets COVID ahead of the 2020 election, he's like, I need to, to overcome COVID so I can cast this vote for Donald Trump. And so in some ways, you know, this is, again, speaks to the kind of contradictions that I think are at the core of college football, right? That someone like um, uh, Bobby Bowden, who has this unbelievable reputation uh, among its former, you know, among his former black players about the way he was, you know, he treated them as men. You know, we saw Derek Brooks and Deion Sanders and a whole host of black players talk about how much they loved uh, playing for and and really recognize the wisdom that they had gained from um, um, Bobby Bowden. But at the same time, Bobby Bowden's politics at this at the end of his life reflected a kind of politics that was so steeped in kind of racism and sexism and anti-blackness that it is it's like how do we you know when we tell the story of his life at the end of his life he wanted it to be known that that's who that's the kind of person he could have cast that vote quietly and uh right. and, and you know anonymously in the booth and no one would have known and we could have had this but he wanted to get out on the stage uh in front of microphone and tell people and declare that this is uh who he was and i think it speaks to the kinds of the kinds of uh, issues that we talk about in our work, right? About the ways that race functions uh, in uh, college athletics and that even uh, advocates like Bobby Bowden for black players who are not openly hostile, kicking players off teams and all this other kind of thing. Um, uh, Unless you're Lavernius Coles, but go ahead. I'm sorry. (laughs) Lavernius Coles who had used up all his strikes. Uh, But Peter Peter Wark, uh, uh, and for the kids on the podcast who, who Randy Moss, familiar, go ahead. Uh, 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 if you're for the kids on the podcast who are not aware of how great Peter Work uh, was, you should uh, Google that on the YouTube's. Uh, but you know he didn't. You know he was one of those folks who who had a, a really good record, a, a reputation among black players, um, and I think that that is. Uh, it, it really gives us the kind of nuance and complexity that I think trying to understand sports, especially college sports with these white coaches, um, uh, speak to, uh, uh, you know, the kind of challenges that we try to talk to and address in our work. Um, and, and I think right. that that is an important part of Bobby Bowden's legacy to be remembered, right? Not just the, the 14 years in the top five, not just the national championships, not, not even just the, the classic matchups against, uh, the University of Miami, um, but we're talking about also at the end. You know, was was that all shucks and the way things that he said to his black athletes was that all just a facade, or was that something else? 
you know, um, you know, I think that's up for other scholars and, and, and former players to really grapple with and deal with. Right. That's a, that's a good point, right? It's very, the very, it's very paternal, right? And very like, I'll protect you, do this kind of stuff and you can get in trouble and you're still here because I'm winning and you get away with it for a while. Um, one of the things that strikes me, we talk about race and Bobby Bowden and, and, and just the, the line, you know, these kind of weird lines people have to thread um, in the mid 80s. So, so Bobby Bowden, we talk about this, you know, look, look, listeners, I will write this black quarterback book. I promise you, I got a lot of stuff uh, on, on the, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of notes. Um, but Bowden's first black quarterback that, that, and the first one that will play at, let me clear this up. The, Florida State's first black quarterback. Bowden, when he was at West Virginia, started a black quarterback in 1973. Uh, the school's first black quarterback. Um, but the Florida State's first black quarterback that played is actually Charlie Ward, Ward in 1989. And 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 one of the things that comes up when we look up, you know, Bowden and black players and black quarterbacks is that there was some rumblings. Um, I believe in 86, I was reading this article. Um, anyone wants it, let me know. Um, but it was saying on, on the notion of black quarterbacks, um, now he would recruit athletes and, you know, who played quarterback and essentially switch them to DBs. And, and in fact, Charlie Ward would have been able to start right away as a DB, but Ward, you know, Bowden gave Ward the decision. Ward wanted to fight to be quarterback in, and turns out, you know, Ward made that right decision. You know, he's a Heisman trophy. And the, you know, the next question with Ward is that's the NFL thing too, right? So it's <laughs> right. not just a, a, a college thing because colleges were giving these athletes or these black athletes, more chances to play quarterback, right? And Ward runs up against the barrier of the NFL and their limited thinking. But one thing that comes out that stands out to me is this this person said, like, look, two things would get Bobby Bowden fired in, in Florida. Losing to Florida, and this this was in 1986, so losing to Florida and starting a black quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. So this is that kind of, you know, that's that, you know, this is, you know, the the rope, the tight rope that Bowden had to walk there. Right. And, and and on the one hand, too, it might also be because he was getting knocked and other universities were knocking him, were recruiting against him, saying, hey, you're not going to be able to play at quarterback. So so one of the things that comes out is like it's no telling how many black quarterbacks he would have had on the one hand, if he would have played one earlier. Mm-hmm. Right. And recruiters couldn't use that against him. Too. And he also had, oh, yeah, there's boosters and I got to make the boosters happy. And that says something not necessarily I don't think about about Bowden as much as about Charlie Ward or really how great he was to be able to crack that what was going on at Florida State right to be the first one where you can lose your job right mm-hmm. and also how successful Bowden is because at a certain point it doesn't matter anymore you're not getting rid of me I'm, I'm Bobby Bowden and I think that that goes a long way it's the same thing we talk about where where we really hammer on you know uh, Bear Bryant for yeah. not integrating quicker because you're bare, you know, when you're the coach in the state, you could do what you want to do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for some folks, it did take a long time for, for Bowden to have that, that black quarterback. And there was always rumblings. I think there's always going to be rumblings um, about race and racism in college sports, right? Just the yeah. way it's set up and, and um, you know, just the way it's set up. And I, but the other thing I want to bring up as, as we smooth out of here is, is, and one of the things that struck me, you know, about his death is for a college football coach, mm-hmm. it's the way it was reflected, not in season, not by Florida State, but by national media. It didn't seem like it was as big as other deaths. This is a college coach, football coach, and we revere 
our we used to revere our college football coaches. But yeah. what we've seen though in the past is a lot of these guys, whether you're paternal or um, you know, at, um, the dude at Michigan who's coming under fire now uh, mm-hmm. for allowing sexual assault to go on on the team amongst the trainers is that we're re-looking at at these past a little bit. But Bowden come from this era where these guys are gods. And yeah. his death didn't get that type of treatment, right? Whereas, you know, you would have thought this is a whole day thing. And, and you know, there's, you know, the state of Florida would shut down, which by the way, it should shut down because of COVID and they're just not. Um, <laughs> but that's, that, that's what struck me about that. Like this was a, a um, I thought it would have been a bigger deal in, in national media. I think, I think, I think that part of it is, is, is his embrace of Trump is one thing. I think that's important. Uh, and I think that the sports media uh, in particular is trying to, uh, I won't say avoid that issue, but know that they are going to delicately approach it. And I think that they just learned their lesson, right? That they, they can no longer just do these big celebratory narratives of, of these coaches once they pass away. They, they need to do a much more accurate accounting of who they were, not just the fact that they won a bunch of football games, right? And I think that they learned their lesson from Joe Paterno and um, Bo Schembechler at Michigan is being caught up in a, in a, in a particular kind of uh, trainer scandal, sexual assault scandal that from his time, right? And I think that that is uh, something that, they, that, that the sports media is much more um, aware of. Can I just say one thing about black quarterbacks in Florida uh, history so I could just say uh, a couple things? One, uh, Florida A&M always had black quarterbacks. All right. I just want to say that. Um, but two, uh, uh, but, do you, you know, I think the when you look at Florida, Florida State and Miami as the three kind of big three programs that really come of age in wake of desegregation, uh, uh, across the nation, and and really, as we met, as we mentioned earlier, de- the decline of Florida and its football program. But Florida had its first black quarterback, University of Florida, which doesn't have the same kind of um, uh, recognition uh, for being supportive of black players the way that Florida State and Miami. But they Florida had their first black player, Don, uh, quarterback Don Gaffney, in the nineteen seventies, like nineteen seventy three to seventy five. He was a starting quarterback. Um, and then, uh, and so then you talked about Charlie Ward in 89, but Miami, which we think of all the swagger and the U didn't start its first black quarterback till 1993 to my freshman year, uh, uh, Ryan Collins, uh, Ryan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, you know, that's like my freshman year of college, right? Like, I think like this is, so I think that one of the things that, that you know in your work and we talk about regularly that the the black quarterback that even when we see black players coming into rosters on these predominantly white southern teams um black quarterbacks was still uh for many institutions uh, uh you know beyond the pale they you know i think that if we think between don gaffney the next start black starting quarterback for florida is probably chris leak like yeah. 30, like uh, yeah. 40 years later. Uh, right. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I think that there's some like, you know, so there's this huge gap. And I think that one of the things that Charlie Ward, I think his importance and Bobby Bowden's, you know, being able to win the Heisman in that fashion, even though Andre Ware had won the Heisman before him, 
Charlie Ward was the one who looked like a pro-style quarterback and not the run and shoot. He didn't put up like ridiculously crazy numbers. He was also a dual threat quarterback. And in some ways, Charlie Ward is the model. When we look at black quarterbacks, many of them now in the college game and in the pro game, there are many of them are really falling in the kind of legacy that Bobby Bowden allowed for uh, Charlie Ward to do and execute uh, in his time at Florida State. And so the on the field stuff was 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 pretty miraculous. Uh, uh, I, I'm looking forward to hearing more from former players and people around the program who got a better sense of of you know how uh, he dealt with race and racism uh, uh, in and around his program. Uh, and then I think we have to just acknowledge that you know he he made he made it public that he wanted to be uh, affiliated with the you know President Trump and his. Uh, former President Trump and his statements about race and, and, you know, activist athletes and calling them sons of bees and, uh, you know, groping women. That Those things where he was okay with that and he wanted to be affiliated with that when that was not part of his um, legacy at that point. Right, right, right. And I think that's, I think that's a great place to stop, actually, I think on, that, on that point. Um yeah, can we? Yeah, that sounds great, man. Peace. All Let's right. get out of here. All right, peace. 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 And we will folks. be more. Yeah, we will be more regular uh, on this <laughs> podcast. We are taking our podcast fire. Sorry about that. Bad joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for listening, right. uh, and we'll see y'all next week. All right, peace.